Welcome to another episode of the XR Magazine podcast. My name is Diana Olenik, your host, and today we're going to be speaking with Don Allen III. Don is a leading AI tech educator and metaverse creator with a wealth of experience and expertise in AI, AR, VR, 3D animation, and visual effects technologies. He has worked as a specialist trainer at DreamWorks Animation and speaks and consults for top tech companies like Meta, DreamWorks, Instagram, Universal, Adobe, Snapchat, and OpenAI. Don is dedicated to inspiring, entertaining, and informing his audience on Instagram and is known for his values of creativity, strategy, adaptability, excellence, personal finance, growth, mindset, and influence. Today, we're super excited because we're going to be speaking about XR, which uh, stands for Extended Reality, that includes virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, and especially, we're going to be diving into generative AI or artificial intelligence and how we are using right now these tools for professional development. Thanks so much for being here today, and uh, let's dive into it. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Don Allen, for being here today. We're super, super excited. We've been waiting a little bit to get make this happen. We know that you're very busy with all your creations and your commitments. Thank you so much for making the time to be here today with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh I'm excited. I'm excited to jump in. Thank you so much. Having Sasha Creator with us and sharing your insights, your experience is a blessing, actually. So please let us know. Maybe we can get started to learn a little bit about the book of your life. In other words, sure. how were your beginnings as a creator or at any point that you want to start sharing with us about you and your background? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can start with school. You know, so I went to school studying broadcasting. I was looking into being like a journalist. So that was like what my background and training was in, but it was always the side projects that I would do, like making videos and filming things. That's kind of what led me down this path of 3D and, you know, in XR. Um, so yeah, I would say I started off in school, but I had this moment where I, I started noticing that, you know, I, I went to this film festival for a film that I made. And I noticed that when I was there, the films that people were talking about more had 3D stuff in it. And I didn't know 3D at the time. And uh, this was at an international film festival <clears throat> in France. I went there and I was just seeing like what people were talking about films that had 3D in it. Like it was even just for a moment, they're like, whoa, it had cool CGI and it had a really cool 3D. And this was in 2015. And so I came back from that festival thinking, I need to know how to like, I need to learn this 3D stuff. And so I started learning 3D stuff. Right around that time, I started off with a program called Cinema 4D. My friend Mike Winkleman, who goes by Beeple, he recommended I start learning Cinema 4D because that was like what he taught on. And, and I was like, okay, I'll follow your lead. And, and so my goal was to try to make a render or an image that looked like one that Beeple might have made in a year. So every day for like about a year or so, or every week, I was learning a 3D program from like from the start to, to where I got to. And then it took about a year, and then someone finally said, hey, did, did people make that piece of artwork? And I was just like, yes, that was my goal. And then once I made that goal, I started charging 
<laughs> I started charging for making 3D. I was like, okay, I, I feel competent enough that if I'm giving clients, I can deliver 3D. And I was getting all this 3D stuff. And I love it, having so much fun. But suddenly I was missing video. I started off with videography and like that kind of background. So I started combining the two. I said, what if I put my new 3D knowledge on top of my video knowledge? And so I started putting my 3D as a visual effect onto videos that I was filming vertically with my phone. And I started uploading those on social media. And then after a short while, people started calling it augmented reality. And I didn't even know what that was. I was like, oh, okay, I, I guess so. I guess it's augmented reality. I, I thought it was just visual effects on top of video or 3D on top of video, but they're calling it augmented reality. And then finally a brand reached out and said, hey, can we hire you to do some augmented reality for us? We have this app. And I did not know how, but was like, yes, I can do it. I had no idea what I was doing. And that was like a rough but fun way to just, you know, start the, start the fire. So I started learning how to actually make assets for augmented reality, not just for, not just for visual effects, but really does it work in, in their app? And that's how I got started into the AR and XR space. Wow. That sounds fascinating. And I like to highlight when you said, I didn't know how to do it, but I still said, let's do it. I think that that attitude is something that many of us creators need to take it into our heart and believe that we can evolve with the technology as well, because nobody was born doing these things. We, re we really need the opportunity in order to experiment with that, deliver something that is with quality, because we all have the capabilities and, and the skills yeah. to do it and the desire, of course, to success and jump in and do it. So sometimes people feel, oh, no, I'm not there yet. I need two more years of experience or five year more years of knowledge. And sometimes knowledge and knowledge and knowledge doesn't really get us into the actual results that we're looking for because we just need the practice. And the practice is with this, all of these tools and technologies. Thank you for sharing that. That's um, like a, like a wisdom nugget there behind all your experience as well. So you're working right now as well with something super exciting that is artificial intelligence, right? Yes. How has been your experience? How did it, you know, you were working with AR stuff and then what happened with AI all of a sudden or how was the process for getting into that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I see AI as the ultimate tool to couple together with AR and VR and XR. And so for me, it's like, that's going to bring AI is going to bring the utility and the value to augmented reality. So like, I feel like I've developed myself well enough in the AR space. I really, I have a very good understanding of that at this point, the whole pipeline, the creation of it. Now I want to start to be very competent in the AI side, the artificial intelligence side and get a very good platform and understanding of that. And then when these two uh, vectors converge together in a near future, I would estimate between like the next three to five years, when AI and AR converge together, there's going to be this unbelievable shift in culture across the, across the globe. And so I feel established with the AR vector, and now I want to get more established with the AI vector so that I'm more prepared for their convergence uh, that I estimate in three to four years. Absolutely. That is, and that was, that actually is going to lead to my next question, which is particularly 
how do you see the convergence of these fields XR, which is super exciting? How people would be using, you foresee using artificial intelligence, maybe yeah. creating some sort of utility-driven AR experience? Would they be prompting something inside AR to create something? Or, or how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, um, I can reference a movie that does a pretty good job at visually and scripting. They, they write a good example of how this might look. Um, if you've seen any of the Marvel movies that feature the character Iron Man, uh, there's a character that Iron Man interacts with a lot, and that character is not human. It's an AI named Jarvis. And so in the, in the movies, when Tony Stark as a human, who's playing this character, who, who's Iron Man, When he wants to build something futuristic or kind of visualize some new world, he's collaborating with an AI named Jarvis. And so as he's talking, uh, Jarvis can take his natural language and convert that into 3D files and images that he could then present to Jarvis. Or sorry, that he could, pre he could present to Tony Stark. And then Tony Stark, seeing those visuals in real time, can actually get new insight and then provide more language and more co context. And all of a sudden, you're basically visualizing a whole world and let, letting the human be really good at the human stuff, the intuition, the empathy, the creative direction, and then let the AI be really good at what it's good at. And then together, you basically turn everybody into, like, it gives everyone superpowers. Um, so I think what's going to happen, the convergence between AI and AR is going to basically turn a lot of people into Iron Man. And it's going to not be sci-fi anymore. It will be a, there will be a point in time where we'll look back at those movies and we'll think, wow, we thought that was only going to be for the Tony Starks. How, how misguided that was. How, how, how small scale we thought that was going to be. No, it's going to be much more like, well, that being said, it'll be people who have access to internet and devices. So that kind of limits not everybody would have access to this, these tools, but a lot of people do have internet and a lot of people do have devices. And that will probably be the cost of having like an AI companion. Uh, you can have a legal companion. You could have a relationship companion. You could have like a collaborative companion. It's going to be all this collaborative AI stuff. And I think AR and XR and VR are going to be the visualization of AI. So right now, it's very hard to see and interact with AI's brain. It's mostly, a, you know, we're doing text interfaces or it's code or maybe a couple images it spits out. The future is your AR, your AI is going to have a face. It's going to have a personality. It's going to have a movement that you maybe art direct in some way. Wow, that sounds super exciting. And of course, we're really thankful for that very practical example. Now we can more specifically visualize how that could be like and why it is important that although we are maybe creators, artists, somehow start to get involved and adjusted to the evolution. Because you know that there are many artists out there that are worried about what is going to be my place now if uh, this yeah. type of artificial system can do it now for me and how it's going to affect my livelihood. What would be your word to someone who is in that situation? Yeah, so, I mean, like, I want to be empathetic and kind to humans, but at the same time, I want to be realistic. Because of the pressures of how a lot of capitalist societies work, they're always going to prioritize technology 
that saves them money over the well-being of humans, which is really bad for people, but very great for business. So my advice to people who feel like that, it, this is this should be your wake-up call to start adapting now while it's still slow enough that you can catch up. If you don't start adapting now, and there's ways that we can do that, and I'm happy to recommend some ways to start adapting, but if you don't start adapting now, it's going to be a, it's going to be a weird shift in culture that, that leaves behind a lot of people. And so that would be my recommendation. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. I think that we are a little bit when every time that there is a new wave in technology, we become a little bit paranoid of the world is going to end. And now I have to change everything and now other systems or other people or other talent is going to replace me. But this is just only part of the evolution that there is a time where naturally things evolve and it always happens in history. We evolve with those type of changes. So what would be some of those ways that you would like to recommend particularly for what you are mentioning? Yeah, I mean, the first one is shifting from... a. Uh from being static career focus to flexible career focus. So like if you're thinking that you're going to identify as a particular career and that you're labeling yourself the name of that career, that's a dangerous uh, habit that needs to start being tweaked because a lot of AI is going to be replacing uh, quite a bit of our jobs in like every domain. And so if you get into this mindset of my career is something that's flexible, malleable, it transforms, it's, it's, uh, then that's a healthier way, I would, in my opinion, of approaching what's happening. Um, the other one is adopting a growth mindset versus like, uh, uh, like an achievement mindset. So if you can focus on like, how can you grow and what you learn versus, you know, what will, what will be the end goal? That shift will help kind of give you purpose and meaning throughout the whole journey versus just focusing on getting to that final destination. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is something super interesting that you mentioned there where it's related with why we don't we actually need to attach ourselves to one just limiting, you know, title. This is, this comes from the industrial, you know, industrial era where occupations needed, you know, that the typical way in, in companies need to work just under certain denominations. And I absolutely love when you say that. That is my thinking as well, that we sometimes have a certain problem with something that, I, that is called that we create our own fixed identities and yeah. being able to be flexible. Right. And not attached too much to one thing as the world we can see evolve so fast. We have to evolve with the technologies and, and everything that is happening. All of a sudden in a couple of years, maybe it's not called XR. Maybe it's called another in another way. So it likely will be, you know, it likely will be something very different. And if we were like married to that term and that became our whole identity, we will be crushed when it changes because then that, that's like saying, Oh, I have to change. Like my whole identity has to change, yes. uh, which could be scary, you know? And, but yeah, but I would certainly recommend, you know, that flexible approach to titles. Um, I can give you know example for myself. So at, when I was at DreamWorks for three years, my title was specialist trainer. That's what I just, that's what I would put in my Instagram bio and my Twitter bio. I was the specialist trainer at DreamWorks. 
and I was so married to that turn that when I decided to go fully independent in 2020 and, you know, not be working at a studio anymore, I felt really lost briefly. I was like, wait, who am I if I'm not a specialist trainer? That's, that's my whole identity right now. Yeah. It was thanks to my partner, mm-hmm. Heenan, who helped real, like helped me realize that you're not just your occupational title. Mm-hmm. That was a part of me. That was a very big part of me. But, you know, my name, my, my, my persona, my values, they transcend my job title. And so I've had to adopt, thanks to her, some flexibility in my own way of identifying myself. Absolutely. I think the same. I went through the same situation. I am an engineer, actually, by profession. And then coming to all of this that is so expansive, you feel like the existential crisis of who I am. (laughs) <laughs> Who should I call me if I have a little bit of this? I feel that I also might have a little bit of this. And I think that this is for the next generation. They are going to see even this more applicable where you don't necessarily. And also that you have the permission to, con- yeah. to call yourself in a way that you that you want. Before, we thought that we needed permission from the system, education, or companies, yeah. or somebody who can say that you are that. But we might discover and we're discovering this that no, like you are the only one who can give that permission to yourself. Nobody, nobody can tell you who you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge shift from the past, you know? So in the past we had to be ascribed our value and then in the future we'll probably get to more and more describe it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. With artificial intelligence right now, the way that at least is working right now. So there is a system where we need to have this interaction trying to tell artificial intelligence what to what to do by the means of text input right now. Sure. So in that experience that you've been doing this, um some some people also are concerned about the 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 originality or the the rights of that that creation. So I just like to know from your point of view, what is your stand about this? And, uh, yeah, what, what, what do you, what do you think that is, you know, is coming to, to, to what type of evolution in that sense? Yeah. I mean, uh, unfortunately our technology advances, I, I believe way faster than our ethics or our legislation as humans. <laughs> and that's like always been the case. So I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of harm done at first because There's no laws and regulation and the ethics haven't caught up to these new tools. And then as things are breaking, laws and legislations and rules will, will come after the fact. Or, I mean, ideally they could be starting right now. I think, I think people are getting the picture. I'm seeing like teams and legislation starting to be formed, but I know it's going to be slow. I mean, it just inevitably has been in the past. So, um, I, I guess my stance on it is, uh, you know, to, to still tread in the water and still like be swimming and participating, but acknowledge that a lot of what we're, well, a lot of our standards that we have right now, um, don't exist yet. Like there aren't, there aren't standards on how we do things. How do we credit people that use AI? Uh, do we credit the development team? Do you credit the training data? Do you credit the artist that's typing in the text prompt? It's just like, there's a lot of unknowns right now. And we're seeing some different AI protests online, and that's a very good uh, indicator of what people are feeling. 
but we're also seeing the the relentless development of the AI, regardless of if there being a protest. So um, I would say take a dualist approach. Um, it's both fantastic and it's horrible at the same time. Yeah, yeah, we 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 might see, of course, right now these uh, different uh, currents of of thought on how this should be dealt with. I I always believe that still having this conversation, like for example, the conversation that we're having right now, making it even like in our day-to-day conversations, that actually compounds little by little to actually get into the the organizations that help to regulate this. But in the meantime. I think that it's important also to discuss another important uh, topic that you might you might have maybe done some um, opinions in the past, and it's sure. about that artificial intelligence operates by the means of data sets, and yeah. I wonder if you have anything to say on to how we can all contribute to diversity and inclusivity because of these uh, data sets that are being taken from everything that is created out there. Yeah. So, you know, to your point, you know, every AI model, the ones that generate text or images or videos or sounds, all of them only work because there's data given to them. And there's this assumption that the only data that they can pull from is made by humans. And that is certainly a lot. That's like probably most of the data. But to your point, one problem that comes with that is the biases that it forms, like who was allowed to feed it data and who was left out of the training to feed that algorithm. So um, I saw one company that had a really interesting, sorry, two companies that had both really interesting solutions to getting more diverse data sets without having to take more data from people. And it's such an interesting approach. They use synthetic data. So one company was NVIDIA. They made a face tracking AI model that they trained completely on CG faces. And what they did was they did CG faces of lots of different skin tones because an earlier version wasn't tracking people's faces if they had darker skin. It wasn't tracking it very well because in their data set, there wasn't a lot of darker skinned faces that the AI had to pull from. So it didn't know that was a face because it hadn't seen it. It's like it, you just didn't know. It just didn't recognize it with as much confidence. So initially I was thinking, oh, they're going to probably have to ask for a lot more people to give their face data that have a range of color. But instead, they used a synthetic data approach. They synthesized data. Basically like a video game engine, they made a tool that could randomly generate lots of variations of faces and skin tones. And then it also generated different um, occlusions, like different hats and glasses and scarves. And it generated just hundreds of thousands of these photorealistic faces and they, and they look like real people. And then they trained the AI model to track faces, including these new, these new data points, these new diverse skin tones, faces and complexions. And what they found was that their AI model that was designed to track faces tracked so much better of all skin tones after they did the synthetic data training. So even though they never had those skin tones and faces in their set to start from, they were able to synthesize it and then all of a sudden make, make their AI model uh, much more uh, useful across a lot of diverse skin tones. Um, and I know Tesla was the second company that's been doing that. So with all their cars that are driving around, they send a lot of the data back 
to their cloud servers and they analyze certain weird situations. So if they keep noticing a lot of Teslas are having trouble around the same spot, they will analyze and basically reconstruct a virtual representation of that spot in their lab. And then they will synthesize new problems to put onto that reconstructed area. They'll ask for the ground to have you know, ice on it and they'll make the ground have less friction. Or they'll add visual things that aren't there. Like they'll put a bike that's going backwards up the ramp when a bike would never be doing that. And they train the AI model in a safe, reconstructed virtual environment millions of times until it understands how to better approach that curve if there is a bike coming up or how to approach that curve if it's icy. And then once it has the a, a, a digital model represented and the, and they have a virtual representation of their car that has the same software as their self-driving cars, once it passes, they actually update that information to all their cars in the real physical world. And now all those cars can go over that same path with like a lot more safety. And that's kind of the approach of like making a data set more diverse is you can synthesize it now and add that to your training model. Using that synthetic like that. That's amazing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving us those uh, particular examples and details so we can understand better. How is that artificial intelligence also can be trained with these data sets that are not necessarily, you know, the, the ones that we see out there because there might be also inequality in even like feminine, uh, you know, representations, color, all, all of these uh, variations that we have out there, diversity. Yes. Thank you so much. That, that is an important part that I believe we always have to discuss because this is something that affects us all. Yeah. So, um, what is like your vision as a creator? Because it's so much like you, you create so many things. Your lives are amazing. I've joined many of them. You're giving so much out there. What is your vision as a creator with all of this evolution? That, that is like a question that seems obvious, but at the same time is like, wow, how the life of a creator like this is in the middle of all of these changes in technology. Oh, thanks. Um, well, yeah, for me, my long-term vision is to kind of build the school system from the sci-fi book, uh, Ready Player One. Um, I wouldn't want it to just be in VR, though. I would want it to work across AR and VR and have a mixture of AI teachers as well as human teachers and fund it in like a Fortnite kind of model. So it would be free for everybody and the best education they could ever offer. It works across all languages. And then the learning adapts to the learner. What is their, like, well, basically the goal would be <clears throat> to ignite a passion for learning in the students that go through the program versus just filling up a bucket in their mind of information that they just have to remember. Um, that'll be my long-term vision is like, basically, I would love to be a big catalyst to why a planet-sized education system became possible. So that's part of the reason why I, I'm interested in all these different technologies, because I do see what I, I study, I look at convergences. I mentioned earlier the convergence between AI and AR. Um, there's a few other vectors that I'm always very keen on, just focusing in on and waiting for the right time for those things to converge. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the ultimate convergence, I think, will land around 2045. So it's a little while away from now. But for me, the vectors that I'm tracking, I think will intersect there. And that's when I would love to have the school up and ready and launched. 
That's amazing, super exciting as well, because, okay, in my own particular opinion, I also believe that there are some gaps in the current educational system. And it's, it's, it's similar to the industrial uh, era where the people had to sit eight hours in a job to demonstrate that they were getting, doing all the work. I think that this is outdated. Anyways, mm -hmm. it is still happening, but my mind is always progressist and I'm always like in another, in the future. But yeah. as well, I see the example similar to the educational system. Do, do you feel the same? What type of things do you think that are wrong with the educational system right now? Almost everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, itself. That's good. Well, I mean, like I have friends that are teachers and so like I love what their work is. But there's so much bureaucracy, like where most of the funding doesn't go back to the students or the teachers. It just goes to the administration that's mostly focused on keeping the same system and structure. Yeah. So for me, the whole the whole structure is incorrect because it's not prioritizing the learner. It's not prioritizing the teachers that are teaching. It's not prioritizing, in my mind, the, like a love for learning. It's making people hate learning. And for me, that's that's a failure. Like if people come out of school and they hate learning... That, that tells me the education and the system was wrong. Um, if, if kids feel compelled to cheat because they need a grade, then I would say the system is, is flawed, not the student. Like, you know, for me, that, that is, it's so frustrating to, to see how, how systems are designed to kind of make, I guess what, what sucks is our whole, our, most of the education systems that were at least were westernized all came from this idea that they need to make the perfect factory worker and a perfect obedient employee. And so then what, what the problem is with that is within that, since that time, which was like the early 1800s, maybe even late 1700s when that ideology came to be, since that time, technology has automated most, mostly everything. And it, it first mechanized like a lot of like movements and like tractors and physical robot arms. And now it's moving into the, you know, the intellectual automation of things. And so the value of school being a system to make the perfect obedient robot it doesn't have the same value as it used to. We don't need perfect robots. We need a lot of independent critical thinkers that can also work collaboratively and enjoy learning forever because that will be you know, the longer lasting career. So um, my, my whole goal and like who I like to you know, try to partner up with and who I try to you know, collaborate with and who I want to work with is all based on, does this get me closer towards my school vision in 2045? Or does it push me away from that goal? And if it pushes me away from that goal, it's an easy no. And if it pushes me more in that direction, then it's an easy yes. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that we are still dragging systems that are no longer, you know, according with what we are living right now. And this is affecting the little kids that are learning under that outdated system. For example, how can you be learning about science in a paper? You know, like when there are, <laughs> It, it doesn't make sense. And the little kids, I've been speaking with little kids as well that tell me this. How can I be learning about when they are teaching about the plants instead of being outside, yeah. exploring the plants out there, you know? I'm learning, yeah. draw, like having to make here like a, a test. As well, another thing that I feel is that all the system categorizing people in good or bad and comparing mm. with others that I'm not at that level, I'm not in the first place, I'm not in the second, I'm not good enough, is not good. Like, why do we have to go ourselves to do those tests for things that maybe they are not going to even use any in, in their lives? 
So absolutely, I'm actually the big supporter for your school. I am, I am predicting that you're going to concrete that dream and I will be there to celebrate as well with you such a beautiful and uh, socially conscious um, initiative to showcase oh. and to, and to support and to share with the world. Like I love, I love to attend your school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a, it, for me, it's something like that I would enjoy to help make happen. And then I, I believe I have the, the energy and the focus to, to make it happen. So like, I, I think I can actually do it. Um, especially with all the tools that are coming out. I mean, it's, it's becoming even more clear that this is even more possible and yeah, it it'll probably end up happening. I keep saying 2045, but I'm, it'll probably happen sooner than that. Mm-hmm. But that was like what I've been saying since around 2015 is, when I started to think about this. Yeah. So, oh, yes, for sure. You're going to make that sooner, sooner than that. But super <sighs> exciting. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that, that uh, vision for a creator that is starting out yet, you know, because we, we just learn about this when we learn about it. Um, mm-hmm. what would be your final advice on how to start, you know, getting maybe some traction, getting some clients or starting to show the work? What would be your best advice for someone who is starting out that is a creator and is willing to, to start uh, sharing this type of creations with the world? Yeah. So, um, I would say the first thing you want to start off with is, um, clearly explaining <clears throat> that you can solve people's problems. So, like, if you can't clearly communicate that online, it's very hard for people to want to hire you or invest in you or collaborate with you. So I would say, like, step one, maybe make a list of 15 people that you want to, like, that you're inspired by and then study their behaviors very closely for, like, a month and literally document how, do, you know, how do they communicate and what are they doing and what do they share And then once you kind of have that highlighted for all 15 of these people for about a month, try to find out like, what could you offer that is of value that they're not already doing? Like what's your unique angle that you could provide value in that same vector. And then that would be like a really good spot to start as a creator. Um, the other one I would recommend is uh, a new mindset. So I would say for me, I try to put a, a past version of myself out of work every other week. So I try to think what was past Don really amped about that he thought that was like, he's going to be, he's going to be very employable for a long time. How can I put past Don out of work with something that I learned today? And if you do that all the time, then it's not, there's not as much panic when things change because you're already used to trying to put yourself out of work. Um, so that's something I try to do. Uh, it, you know, know your, know your comfort zone. The other one is, um, there's a chart I would recommend for creators to, 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 to make. And, uh, it's four circles and all four of the circles are intersecting. The first circle is what you love. The second circle is what you're good at. The third circle is what the world needs. And the fourth circle is what you can get paid to do. And if every creator makes this graph, it's called an ikigai. Uh, it's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. If they find their ikigai, it's the, it's when all four of those circles intersect. The section in the middle is an ikigai is what you love plus what you're good at plus what you can get paid for plus what the world needs. And if creators basically only focus on how do they get closer to ikigai, then you can live a really long, happy life in the future 
And it's just like, it, it just provides a lot of meaning to what you're doing. And without Ikigai, uh, it feels kind of pointless and it's hard to stay motivated at times. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's the purpose in life. It's a, a beautiful philosophy, Japanese philosophy to, for us to get, you know, like centered into what is our why and then go from there and start building. So we don't, you know, just go here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, without that, you're just going to be like, like just lost, you know, just like, where, where do you go? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think my camera broke. <laughs> a little bit, but it's all good. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, you um, uh, fix the camera. I just want to say that this has been a fascinating talk because, first of all, you got us a better insight onto what could be the future in this convergence with a, a XR that not everybody might be able to see yet. So that example was absolutely great as well as to your vision, your projects, and uh, the future of this technology, the educational system. So it has been amazing, like not a regular talk for sure. Thank you so much, Don, for such a beautiful uh, interview, sharing your experience, your insight. Is there anything else that you wish I had asked you today? Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a, this, these kind of moments kind of reinvigorate, you know, my why as well. So thank you for this opportunity to share. Um, I mean, I think you answered or asked all the questions I would love to go through. Um, um, see, I don't know. Uh, I guess for your audience, um, you know, if they, if they have questions, um, they're welcome to send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm pretty responsive there. If they have questions about stuff. But other than that, that that's all. <laughs> yes. If you could please briefly tell us um, your uh, handle, the, the Instagram handle, so everybody can go directly there. We're going to put it in the description as well, but just so people can access right now the phone and and, and oh, follow sure. you. What's the name of your account? Yeah, it's Don Allen III. It's D-O-N-A-L-L-E-N and then the three I's, so III. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Those are where I'm at, but mostly responsive on, on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's amazing. If you like this episode, please make sure to share it with someone else and to subscribe or give it a like. And so sharing is skating. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. And for now. Mm -hmm.